we've reached November. That's letter X for you futures traders out there. That's right. Novi is X, and then we'll get in December, and that would be Z. Dan will say Z is dead, but that's a Pulp Fiction thing. Dan Nathan, Guy Adami, 1 o'clock on the East Coast. Carter Worth is with us again today. Let's get right to the rundown, Dan, because although it does not appear to be the case, there is things going on. Charter's going to take a look at Charter. Did I just say that? He's going to look yep, at oil and did. energy. Apple and Starbucks. I was actually at a Starbucks the other night. I had to get uh, what they call medicine balls. Uh, no jokes, please. And then we're going to look at the stocks making new 52-week highs. And then we're going to look at some of them making new 52-week lows. How are you, Dan? I'm doing great. You were you actually offered to get me a medicine ball before you headed yeah. out to the Starbucks yesterday. That was before the CNBC's Fast Money. And you were very gracious um, about that. We had Tyler Matheson as sure. the guest. And you went out to get that young man a coffee just to make sure he was properly caffeinated for the program. Um, I am properly caffeinated. It's interesting, guy, that you said seemingly not a whole heck of a lot going on in the market. Um, you know, we got the Fed announcement today. I think the expectations, we talked about it yesterday, are for a hawkish pause. That means that they're going to be data dependent. The data actually has been fairly uh, hot, right, which would keep the Fed at least in the game here a little bit. I know that expectations are not for anything um, as it relates to hikes now, and, and they're kind of going away for December here. Um, but again, you know, guy, this is the sort of meeting where I think everyone thinks they have it figured out mm -hmm. where there could be some volatility afterwards. Like, you know, you know what I mean? Like the VIX was above 21 a few days ago. Now it's below 18. Look at where the money's flowing into the market. I'm looking at my, my, my main fact set screen here and it's all the big cap tech are doing great today. And they were doing poorly yesterday when a lot of the, the non-big tech techs. You know, well, were, yeah, I mean, you're right to point that mm -hmm. out. Rates meaningfully lower. This is sort of dovetailing the conversation we had with Carter yesterday in terms of maybe we'll see sort of a pullback in yields. That's on the back of a couple things, but most importantly, probably really miserable ISM data and a jobs number, whatever they're calling it now, that was probably disappointing in terms of the actual number, but encouraging for the market participants. I know counterintuitive, but there you go. But to your point about this meeting, a lot of people think this is sort of a foregone conclusion. It's not going to be market moving. What I have found over the last few years, and I think you would agree with this, the meetings that you think the market's going to move are the ones that typically nothing happens. Maybe a couple of days later is when you see the fireworks. It's the meetings when everybody's sort of saying, hum, 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 drum, not a big deal. That's when you sometimes get some of these fireworks. And, and given some of the moves and some of these things over the last couple of days, it stands to reason that you could see some things that the market's not prepared for. Yeah. I, and, and again, I'm glad you brought up the ISM and we're going to have the October jobs report on Friday. And, um, you know, I suspect the Fed, you know, sees all of this data, uh, especially on the week that they're going to be, um, you know, giving this, um, you know, this this rate announcement. Um, but, you know, it, it's like this thing, this disconnect guy between some of the data that we see that just remains, you know, um, hot on the uh, on the employment front you know we still have an unemployment rate below four percent i think mm -hmm. a lot of us thought uh, you know early this year that we'd be above four percent by this time this year right but then when you see some of this manufacturing data like kind of weaken a little bit you say to yourself okay so that's that long and variable lag you know um 
I just go back to the stock market and I go back to all of the sectors. And again, I'm going to sound like a broken record that just trade really poorly. We talked about this last night on Fast Money a little bit. I mean, what are the transports telling you? What are industrials telling you? What are financials telling you? What are some of these kind of meant to be safety trades like healthcare, which can't get out of its own way? Mm -hmm. What are utilities? You know, I mean, staples, the list goes on and on and on. It's just tech. And, and, and consumer discretionary or higher end consumer discretionary, but that's starting to fall by the wayside. So a little bit, so I don't know, man, like if I look at it, you know, and I said this last night, I'm not an economist, but, but I've been staring at fact set machines for 25 years and trying to impute at least what the stock market and what other risk assets are telling me about what's going on in the economy. And if I'm just looking at the stock market, it doesn't feel particularly great, um, whether rates are at 5% or 4.8%. I agree with that. I mean, I think the knee-jerk reaction that we've talked about, you know, the one or two-day reaction with the yields going lower would be the stock market going higher until I think the market realizes that, wait a second, yields are not going lower for particularly good reasons. I mean, the ISM notwithstanding, but a lot of things are sort of pushing that down. None of them, I don't think, are particularly good. Now, you're going to say, well, maybe some of the bond offerings haven't been as disastrous and that obviously has been um, supportive of the TLT, meaning yields go lower. Okay, I yeah. get it. But you're still looking at Japan. You know, their JGB is probably approaching 1%. Dollar yen significantly through 150. I mean, all those things to me point back to yields at some point going up. And Carter will talk about this. We talked about it yesterday. Yields are in this up channel that's been in place for quite some time. And effectively, what we're doing here is just retracing sort of the lower end of that up channel. So I don't think we're necessarily going to break. And there you go, Johnny on the spot. But I just think this is sort of a continuation of an uptrend that's been in place since May. Yeah. Carter's charts, you know, yesterday suggesting, you know, maybe you have another 20 basis points or, or something like that. And, and, and your, your reverse charting in the TLT, you said, well, maybe you get that up to the high eighties. And that all made sense to me. If you're just looking at this really simple chart of the 10 year yield, I mean, if it were to go back and, and touch that trend line, four and a half percent, you know, from five down from five, you know, the question is, let's throw up the S&P chart. Where would the S&P be? And, you know, this is a conversation that, you know, Karen and I have been having on the set of Fast Money over the last week or so. And maybe we'll bring Carter in a second and then he can kind of help us think about this. But just look at this downtrend. OK, very well defined. There's the 150 day moving average. We're obviously below that. That is Carter's moving average. And I just want to then go to the next chart, the S&P 500. Just in this downtrend, you look at that. We had a 4.75% rally mm -hmm. off of that low um, in August. We had a 4-ish percent rally off of the low uh, about a month ago. And here we are about 3%. Now let's toggle back to the um, the other chart that we had here. I mean, if we were to kind of retest that downtrend, right, in the channel, that would probably get you to that 150-day moving average, which would probably get you to about 4.5% or something. Like that. So again, I think both you and I, while we remain bearish, right, of, of the market, we were cognizant early this week, new money into the markets, you know, yada yada, fiscal year end for some big fund complexes. Could you have that sort of bounce? Sure. Like we talked about it with, with Carter yesterday on the Russell, the work that he's showing is like you want to sell rallies. Is it great to press it at a low after a 10% drop or something? Probably not, right? So we're just trying to be um, a little tactical guy, if that makes some sense. Yeah, real quick, and we'll get Carter in, but it's not coincidental, by the way, that if you look at this chart of yields, it's still in an uptrend, meaning yields have been going higher. Then you say, okay, over the course of that period of time since May, we have seen pullbacks in yields. In other words, yields have gone down, but yields have basically have been lower left, upper right. Then you go to the next chart, 
the S&P 500. And effectively, basically since the summer, you've been in this downtrend where we've seen bounces. None of this, by the way, is coincidental as yields are going up. Market's been going down. The days it yields or the couple days it yields go back down is when the market starts to rally. And that's what we're seeing here. But to your point in the conversation you're having with Karen, at some point something's going to give, right? This, this, I guess, relationship is not going to last forever. Something's going to break. And if we do, in fact, I think, get through that four and a half level in yields, which I don't think is going to happen, by the way, I'm not I'm not completely sure that that's going to be supportive of equities yeah well let, let's bring carter braxton worth and worth charting here because maybe he can help us think about this a can little only bit. help carter what how are you bud how, right sorry I, someone said to me i think you look as though you just got off a motorcycle it's great but, uh, oh, you just anyway, you i'm good i'm good trying drive. to figure it out as you are and there are always uh nuances and inputs and data points that uh, right. both confirm here, here. and contradict one's opinion Help me with this, okay? So we've been going back and forth with this on Fast Money for the last week. And, and again, you know, your work has suggested I've seen it in worth charting. You know what I mean? You don't exactly want to be buying equities at the point in which the Fed is going to start lowering interest rates, right? I mean, because, again, going back to what Guy just said, what's the reason for them lowering interest rates? If they did such a magnificent job on the way up, right? Like, and, and they're able to lower them on the way down, then that is what we would call, you know, nailing the landing. But that's what the debate, that's what the volatility in the stock market has been about since they started raising interest rates in March of 2022. So my question to you, Carter, if you go back and look, the last four major rate increase periods, okay, we'd have to go back to, you know, over the last 18 months, okay, we know what happened there. If you go back to 2017 and 18, when Jerome Powell came in um, as the Fed chair and he started raising interest rates, we saw in Q4 of 2018, the stock market at the, the first hint of a growth scare globally sold off 20%. Go back to 2007, the Fed had been raising rates, right, since the dot-com implosion, since the long protracted bear market and recession that we had, right? And we had in 2007, if you started buying stocks, right? When the Fed started lowering interest rates, that was a painful sort of thing. And then obviously going back to 99, 2000, the same thing. Karen has mentioned 1994. I said, fine, you can have 1994. I'm going to take 2000. I'm going to take 07. I'm going to take 2018. You know what I mean? And I'm going to take this most recent period. So talk to me, like, how do you, how do you make sense of that? Yeah, well, 94, right, the start of the year, January through March, was uh, quite flat. Uh, they doubled Fed funds from 3 to 6%, and the market froze up. It was one of the tightest ranges ever recorded on a 6-, 10-month basis because the market was trying to digest this. And then, obviously, it took off um, in the back half of 94, and basically we went all the way to the 99 high. But that initial tightening, right, uh, sort of froze things. Uh, but I think the, the the biggest thing of all, is, of course, to watch the two ten spread. And as that um, as that spread keeps narrowing, um, that is quite often a precursor to trouble in the general equity market. And that's what we're seeing now, without question. Mm -hmm. I mean, we've gone from 105 basis points. I mean, where we get down to about 15 or so basis points, and I'd have to look right now in real time. But yeah, and that's something Elizabeth Young mentions as well. So look, we'll see how it plays itself out. Um, you know, I think people are sort of getting bolstered by the fact that maybe Treasury is slowing things down in terms of debt offerings. I, I think a lot of these things are somewhat short lived. I don't think it changes any of the fundamentals.
But something's changed, Carter, over the last couple of weeks in the energy market. And you brought with you a bevy of charts to illustrate exactly that. So let's walk through your energy sure. thesis. Um, these are charts from uh, about a week ago. Not quite, but it's from a report for clients, um, institutional clients, of course, and then online um, worth charting subscribers. And uh, what we were trying to show is the importance of certain levels. The first thing that stands out is we never could make the high, right? So that um, we had this incredible move from the COVID low to present, which itself is in response to the preceding collapse, right? Energy stocks collapse, no boats moving, no cars moving, no planes moving. COVID makes shocking lows. And then this epic recovery of essentially 200 to 700. But one, we couldn't make a new high. Two, we're flirting with breaking trend. And actually, since this uh, note went out right on, uh, we, we have broken trend. Um, let's look at the next way to draw the lines. I mean, again, that's a bit of a sort of subjective double top because one is a fairly precise period of time and one is a year's worth of trading. But that's what my eye sees. And I think the, the burden of proof has shifted to the bull, meaning the bull just had to say, take a look at the facts. Energy is an outperformer but not anymore, right? This is uh, under pressure. Um, I don't, uh, what other, we might have a few more iterations. We got some crude oil, we have crude oil charts yeah. as well that you brought so we've up. We've got yeah, the XLE, some... and this is, um, this is the actual ETF, of course, that you can trade, which has 100% correlation with the preceding charts, the um, S&P 500 GIX energy sector. And so the question is, do we or don't we breach this uptrend line? And uh, we, we went slightly uh, below it. You've got the triple top, which is a formation that's well known. Say you couldn't break out, you couldn't break out, you try it again, and then ultimately you roll over. Um, if we wanted to look at crude, and and we can, trend lines are subjective, right? just as uh, price to book and enterprise value EBITDA and price targets. But if you were to take this trend line, simply connecting the June low um, with the August low, we broke trend. Let's say we were a little more generous Let's look at the next. Let's toggle those two. So that's the severe trend line we clearly broke. That's a little less severe. We're being more generous. Let's be even yet more generous and say, but you can't keep doing that. At one point, the line's going to be lying on the ground, right? And it's not a trend line anymore. And we are starting to breach this line even now um, since the report was published. So uh, I think we might have one other, and there it is. So we were into support, and it's finding support, but it's not really bouncing. And so... I would say it's a pair of twos with a bias to the downside. Carter, before we go on, let's go back to that XLE chart because it, it must have been now, I don't know, three weeks or so ago where I actually looked at this and said, there's no way we're going to have a triple top in the XLE. It just doesn't happen. And I thought given the move we were seeing in energy and some of the other things, some of the underlying equities, and then obviously we saw the Exxon deal. We talked about the Chevron deal. I'm like, all right, these things are going to be off to the races. Obviously, it didn't take place. How rare is it to have a formation like this? Or is this just sort of run-of-the-mill type of stuff? Um, run-of-the-mill, because it doesn't have to be that it's triple. It's it, it's the concept is that um, it, it had a great and steep advance uh, running up into late 21, uh, early 22. And basically, it's never been able to keep that momentum going. Right? So you keep attempting to keep the sequence going, keep making you high, and it hasn't. And... Every time you try, you expend a little more energy, you sort of run out of oomph, if, if that's the word, and I think it is. And so does it mean it has to break trend, the reciprocal or correlative? No, but that's the burden, right? And even this, if it just continued sideways, it would break trend 
because it would start to go below the line, right? There's that circumstance as well. Yeah, you know, it's interesting, Guy, and 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 I remember you and I talking about it at the time when the XLE was kind of approaching, you know, that that prior high, right? And and again, like, you know, your view on the fundamentals of the companies, we know that, you know, Exxon and Chevron make up 40% of the weight of this ETF here. And when you just consider the, the 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 two transactions that have been proposed, right? So it's Exxon, I think it was about a month ago or maybe three weeks ago, proposing a what, $60 billion deal and Chevron proposing a $53 billion deal. When you talk about ringing the bell, I, I mean, like, like, like literally, doesn't this have to be in, you know, like go down, uh, you know, I mean, as like the mother of all bell ringings for this sector. Now you can look at it in two different ways. The only way that I'm going to look at it right now, given the poor price performance and given the relative performance that, that Carter's talking about here, guy, and, and I'd love to get your take on this is that, okay, you know, like to me, I feel like they are going to be mired now in regulatory BS for at least a year until we get through the election result a year from now. Do you know what I'm saying? And that might really put a damper, at least an, an investor enthusiasm for these stocks. Does that make some sense? And so to Carter's point, if the XLE just goes sideways, then that means it's technically breaking down. Mm -hmm. right? mm -hmm. and, and so I, I don't know. I'm just curious your thoughts here. No, has, look, has your view changed a little bit? In the now, last my view hasn't changed. I mean, obviously the technicals should su suggest that it should change, but you know, in terms of ringing the bell, I mean, it happened last year, same time last year when Chevron announced at the time, a $75 billion stock buyback. And if you recall, I don't know if we can go get a Chevron chart and go back to a basically year, year and a half ago. When Chevron announced, I think it was the fall of 2022, stock was making an all-time high. That was a bell ring of epic proportions. And if we look at it, yeah, if you, well, you can see it. But if we even sort of go, sort of um, zoom out a little bit so you can see the context of the move it had into that fall, I mean, you see a stock that exactly. So you see a stock that was off to the races. They announced that stock buyback. That was it. I mean, the, basically, we took another run early in 2023, but we've never seen those levels since. And listen, you're making a good point. You could be the same thing again a year later in terms of not so much a stock buyback, but these um, suggested M&A deals. We'll see. I will tell you, though, if we can pull up a gold chart real quick and then go back and look at that XLE triple top. The gold chart looks exactly, and it's, I don't know if it's coincidental or not, but exactly like that XLE chart. So just vision that sort of XLE chart that Carter just drew, and then look at the gold chart, and it's like, oh my God, uh, this is hauntingly familiar, CBW. Yeah. I mean, one thing to put your time at ringing a bell is, is that the premium was so low, right? If you look at where Hess was trading, and then after, the reaction, or you look at uh, Pioneer, I mean, basically, if these things were such great assets, why weren't they taken out 30% higher, 40% or they're taking out eh, single digits. And so uh, it's, it does suggest that there's a cap. I mean, strangely, look, energy, you know, big oil, as it used to be referred, there's the, there's that famous book, the prize, right? It's, it's such an important thing. I mean, literally, it is the thing that moves the world. And yet, it's only 4% of the S&P. Mm -hmm. That's the irony of the whole thing. It's millions of jobs and lots of geopolitics and wars. And yet the whole thing, it's up to nothing in terms of the value of publicly traded equities in the United States. 
All right, let's let's hit a couple single names before you get out of here, Carter. Um, you know, tomorrow is going to be a big earnings day. Um, Starbucks before the opening, and then Apple after the close. Um, and you know, Starbucks is interesting to me, just you know the way that maybe some of these other um, consumer discretionary um, names have acted of late. This one has not been trading particularly well. The implied move in the options market um, is about five and a half percent. Thought, thoughts here on the the relative underperformance that we've seen here. Um, you know, this stock we've mentioned on many occasions. You know, um, you know when this was supposedly a rip roaring bull market um, for the better part of this year, this stock did not act particularly well. Nike did not act particularly well. Um, these are names that have always enjoyed a nice premium to their peers and to the market, and that premium appeared to be coming out most of this year. Thoughts on the technical setup uh, setup in, in Starbucks into the print. Yeah, I mean, here's the thing: they, the restaurant stocks in general, McDonald's is under a lot of pressure, right? Um, uh, DRI uh, and so forth. Um, it's just a heavy group. It speaks to the consumer, which has obviously been uh, struggling in terms of the stocks from its from Target to Gap and so forth. Um, I think it breaks trend here. Uh, this is a very short-term chart, but the relative performance is poor. This is an absolute chart. Look at the longer term. And, and this is some going back to the 09 low. We've breached that uptrend now. And uh, you can draw lines a different way. Take a look at this next iteration. You can toggle those. I mean, those are very precise lines. That's a, this is a great annoyance to the CFA society. They go, what in the hell? There's no valuations. Hit these lines. It's damn right it does. And so the question is, is it breaking down? Um, this is one of these Peter Lynch ones. You know, where you every time I'm in a Starbucks, I wait a long time. The thing constantly pumping out coffee and donuts and it always looks full and what a business uh, and of course if we'd all bought it at the 09 low at four bucks wouldn't that be a handsome thing um but but what right now as patterns go it's not great now and if you look at starbucks since i want to say may carter and this has held pretty much serve i mean, stock was trading i want to say 115 it's been a series of lower highs and you can see that and it's been a series of lower lows now in order for that to continue we probably need a close below sort of 88 and a half, 89. But, you know, is every indication that's going to happen? Now, obviously, we've seen stranger things before. I think Nike surprised a lot of people to the upside. But, you know, valuation in this environment at Starbucks is not cheap. And I think this trend of lower highs and lower lows continues, Dan. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. If you just look at the options market, and, and again, we talked about an implied move that's about 6% in either direction. You know, maybe you want to look out a couple of weeks or so. The November 91 puts that cost about $3.20. You can do the math on, on, you know, on the percent of, um, you know, of the underlying stock to get that sort of exposure. But if you buy, let's say three bucks for the 91, your break evens down there at 88. And if you look at that, let's put up that 52 week chart. Um, again, if it breaks, you know, this $90 level and it breaks that uptrend, you know, that, that, that has been in place. I mean, you're likely going back to, you know, I, I have to assume, you know, to guy your point mid to low eighties there. So again, you know, thinking about how to express, you know, views in the options market using defined risk, that's not a cheap way to play though, people, you know what I mean? Like you can't just be littering the field with a bunch of 3% short dated, you know, potentially binary sort of bets, but we just highlighted just to show you one way in which to do that. Let, let's take a look at um, Apple here because this is not too different, Carter. I mean, like, you know, it, it has not acted particularly well. We know it's been a very popular name. I think you could make the same Peter Lynch ar argument about the Apple stores and what everyone's got in their hand and what everyone's got in their tote bags and everything like that. Um, but 
you know, this one has um, I, I feel like the, the the bloom is off the rose a little bit. Guy, you and I, you know, and Carter, you know this from being on CNBC. There was a time, man, if you uttered a negative word about this stock, that the the vitriol that would come at you. I feel like much less so. I think uh, Tesla and NVIDIA have actually <laughs> that crown here. Mm -hmm. But talk to us a little bit about what you're seeing in the charts. And then, Guy, you've always had a much more nuanced, I think, uh, view towards Apple than me, um, because sometimes I just kind of get stuck in the mud here a little bit so i'd love to get your take but carter what are you seeing in the charts yeah i mean uh, at least as i've annotated it here you have that um breakout that fail right so a bull trap if you want to characterize it that way uh, another way to draw the lines would to uh, and you'll see it here on the is that we're and you can toggle those i mean basically we break out and fail and now we're sitting here at a critical juncture and you could say it's coin toss it's 50 50 and um that's fair uh, then you have to pick your direction or not play. Say, I don't want to play. It's too much 45, 55, 55, 45, or I do want to make a bet. Um, if making a bet, my bet is down. And if we look at the longer term chart, um, and this is all data, put in some lines and what's at risk here? Look at this. I mean, breaking this trend line is a pretty uh, sort of telling and important thing. Uh, we shall see. Um, let's put in some arrows more just to how it's to the penny, to the penny, to the penny, working into the apex, the wedge, the stand. And so uh, does it have to do what my red arrow suggests? No. But uh, for those who are going to bet, I would be betting down. It's interesting. We put on in the Instagram, by the way, we do have an Instagram account and we showed Apple on one side, $2.7 trillion company. And then for just comparison purposes, we showed six companies that everybody has heard of out there regardless of whether or not you're in the stock market. And we showed that you combine those companies and guess what? It's 2.7 trillion. So if we look at the chart, if you're saying to yourself, Apple's a $4 trillion company over the next couple of years, quite frankly, it doesn't matter if you want to buy it here. I mean, you're buying it here and $5, $10 doesn't matter. That's number one. Number two, if you go back and look, and we've talked about this, you know, Apple does trade lower at least a half a dozen times over the last five or six years. We've seen 30 to 45% peak to trough declines. We're seemingly in the midst of one now. I look at that shorter term chart, Dan, and I go back to the lows that we saw earlier this year. I want to say it had like a 120-ish handle. Maybe it was 123. That recent high that we saw, obviously, in June and July with everything else. And a 50% retracement of this brings us right to about a buck 60. And that's the level we've been flagging for quite some time. And quite frankly, that lines up exactly with the type of peak to trough declines we've seen over the last decade or so. So it's not that I'm a hater. Yeah. Um, I don't. It's not that I'm a. I don't really care one way or another about Apple. But what I will tell you is, regardless of what people say, Apple does go down. And as you've mentioned a number of times, Dan, the last three quarters have been. You know, you're starting to see declines. Margins have seemingly. I don't want to say contracting necessarily, but they're clearly have not accelerated. And this is a single-digit TPS growth and revenue growth company that trades close to 28 times next year's numbers. Something's got to give. Well, that that's it in a nutshell. Um, uh, you know, the way I think about it is, okay, where is a lot of enthusiasm about this stock? It's about their access to a Chinese consumer, which I, I think, it, again, I, you know, at least if we're going to kind of extrapolate from what we heard from Tesla about demand for their products, um, you know, in September and in Q3, I, I think it's probably, you know, they're both very aspirational products. You could say that they're a very, very different 
price points used for very different reasons. But if there are some nationalistic tones that are kind of building up among consumers there, and then from a manufacturing standpoint, they're moving a bunch of manufacturing offshore. Um, To me, I I feel like there's going to be only headwinds as it relates to China with Apple. And that's a big part of that 27 times this future, you know, um, you know, earnings expectation, in my opinion, like that's one of the reasons why this stock gets that premium. So, you know, I'm not particularly enamored with it. The one thing I will say is that down 15% from those recent highs, it has a setup not too dissimilar to Amazon in a way where sentiment could not be worse, in my opinion, right now. Okay. Like, well, I mean, it could be worse. If they miss and guide down, it's going to be a lot worse, which brings me back to the options market. Okay. With the stock trading at about 172 and a half, mm-hmm. you know, the at the money, the 172 and a half weekly put would cost you three and a half dollars. That's 2% of the stock price. So if you thought, that this company was going to miss, <clears throat> and then the guidance or whatever they give for guidance is going to be worse than expected, and it's going to be headed back to 160. I say to myself, that's kind of a cheap way to play. I mean, the options actually look cheap on a directional basis right here. And you know, guy, you mentioned 160, which would basically be a 20% peak to trough decline from that recent high. 150 is kind of that breakout level mm-hmm. from the spring or so. I mean, that would make sense. And if there was ever a stock that is crowded. And if there was a narrative change where a lot of people would head for the door at the same time and it wouldn't be a one day event, it would be Apple. So again, let's take a closer look tomorrow. Carter's not gonna be with us tomorrow. We wanted to get his take on the charts here. Um, But again, I think we have a lot of different thoughts about what is playing into investor sentiment into this print. Let's see how the market reacts to what the Fed has to say. Let's see where the money flows, okay? Again, you know what I mean? After that event, let's see where rates are because, you know, whether you believe it or not, one day price action in the broad market, right, could actually have a pretty decent impact on how a stock like this might react because as you've said, guy, this is an asset class in and of itself. I think the market cap is greater than all of the Russell 2000. So. Uh, it is its own asset class. I mean, $2.7 trillion. It's as I've said a number of times, I'd have to look now. I think there are 317 or so ETFs that have Apple as a top 1515 holding. So, you know, in the world of passive investing, as money flows in, Apple goes up regardless of what's going on around it. It's only obviously events that for every reason take it down. So in the absence of news, Apple goes higher. It's just that simple. We are going to have news and we'll see. And by the way, you know, we actually had a guest on last night and I flat out asked him about the risk of, of about China and Apple. And he said, I'm paraphrasing, but he said the market's really not taking it into proper consideration. I agree with that, Dan. All right. Listen, Carter Braxton, we're two days in a row. You guys know. Right. How fun. And uh, big. this is it. Apple is the big one, right? Most widely owned and uh, sort of in the ethos of the world. It's, it is the preeminent commercial enterprise in the globe. Well. We, we can't we can't wait to be on the set of Fast Money when those numbers come out. So we appreciate you being here with us. Carter Braxton Worth, you guys know where to find him, worthcharting.com. Nothing slick, just charts. Guy, what do you call it? You have your own tag. tag well, line. I yeah. do. And I know Carter, he makes a face when I when say no, this. No. But, but I say it's no, listen, no emojis, no hearts, just charts. All right, CBW, thanks, brother. Go check out Worth Charting here, people. Guy, you just catch yourself. I tell you, that is catchy as hell. It is. It is catchy. You just mentioned your big Insta account. I think that the guy is back on Instagram. He's guy.adami. Go check it out. We are getting our Instagram accounts fired up. I am Dan S. Nathan. Um, and when we have risk reversal media and we have our team 
really pumping out some really interesting content. Um, they're taking some of our clips, but they're also kind of putting stuff visually. There's some videos there. They call them Reels Guy. Uh, stories. We're going to get you in a story. So go yeah, follow are. us. Check out Risk Social Media. Check Guy.Adani. Check out Dan S. Nathan. And we're going to start putting a lot more content on those sites. So check it out. Um, all right, Guy, before we get out of here, Let's hit a couple of things. I thought this was kind of interesting. Um, Sam, one of our listeners the other day, um, hit me with um, NYSE new 52-week highs versus mm -hmm. new 52-week lows. Our friend Doug Cass over there at Seabreeze, who writes for Real Money, he tracks this sort of data um, too. Now, every day, the financial media is reporting on this stuff, but sometimes it's just, it's just kind of noise, right? Like what catches my eyes when it feels like the market is an inflection point, when there seems to be a common narrative about the market, and then when you see highs or lows at a multiple of one versus the other. And again, the S&P is up 9% of the year. You'd think that's a good year, but look at this. Look at the highs, new 52-week highs versus new 52-week lows. And, and, and again, guy, a lot of these new 52-week lows, these stocks were trading trading at 52 week highs yeah. not long ago talk to me how you use this sort of data how you think about this sort of data market internals i mean this speaks to so you know the first thing we look at uh we all do we're all guilty of it <laughs> you look at the major indices you look at the dow you look at the nasdaq you look at the s&p 500 and they tell their own story and you can sort of make an assessment as to what's going on based on that but then you start to get a little more granular and say wait a second given that given the fact that the market's up today things are we should, this should be the exact opposite. And to your point, we're not seeing that. And what sticks out to me is, you know, almost five to one in terms of new 52 week lows to new 52 week highs. That speaks to internals that I don't think are all that strong. And we'll see how it plays out. Now, you don't trade the market just on the back of internals, but you have to take it into consideration. And your point about stocks that are now trading at a 52 week low that seemingly, you know, a month or so ago, we're at 52-week highs. I mean, go no further than Caterpillar. I mean, that's a stock back in August. I mean, that's just a few months ago, Dan. This yep. stock was making, I think, an all-time high, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, and now here we are. We're not making a 52-week low. I think the low is 204 or so. But it's obviously had a precipitous sell-off. Well, so that's going to fall into that category as well. You throw in an SD lot. I mean, that there are yeah. litany of well, companies here, that sort of fall throw, under throw that. Throw up McDonald's. Throw up McDonald's because I think this is a great example. I mean, this this is one that did it. I mean, this is a household name. You know what I mean? Um, it's a uh, fifty-two week. I think that's longer than fifty-two weeks, isn't it? Um, so, um, you know, I mean, it just did it. There, there you go. Um, all right, let's look at a name that you brought up, though, one making a 52-week high. And I thought this mm -hmm. was really interesting because the gap that it had, it had it on news. Um, this is Garmin. And, you know, this is not a stock that we talk a lot about. I was I was really happy for you to mention it because it is interesting to see stocks that are performing this way. It's not one that we talk about in Fast Money, but somebody's out there buying the hell out of this thing, right? And when you think about the, the quarter and the guidance that they gave, you look at this stock and you say to yourself, okay, mid to high single digits, earnings and sales growth, trading at about 19 times. It's above a market multiple, mm -hmm. no debt. Lots of cash. 15% of their market cap is in cash. It's a $21 billion market cap company. So not an insignificant sort of company. And I do think it's interesting to try to figure out, okay, what's going on here? How can I extrapolate that to somewhere else? Are they taking share versus somebody? That's how I think about these stories. It doesn't always have to be a trade in one of these names, but it's worthwhile to keep, you know, to, to kind of keep a lot of other tickers that are not on your kind of like the, the you know, I mean, the tip of your tongue every day yeah. to see what else is going on out there. 
You know, they've got, I mean, a, a lot of people, listen, this was a darling into 2021 for a myriad of different reasons. I think this was probably a COVID hero in some ways, shape or form. If we go back longer, you can take a look at where the stock was. Again, not that it matters, but then the indictment of this company is just a hardware company. You know, why are you paying that type of valuation? They seemingly sort of morphed themselves a little bit into a sort of an amalgam of both of those things. And now here we are now. This is a pretty clear breakout of a sideways action we've seen for the better part of this year. I don't have the short interest in front of me. My sense is it's probably somewhat robust enough to sort of get the stock back on its horse. It's already traded a million and a half shares. It's about two times normal volume. You know, this stock could sort of gravitate or I shouldn't say gravitate, levitate up to 125 or so and still be in this pretty significant downtrend that we've been in. So I think this is one you should look at understand that they have 12.5% revenue growth valuation. Yeah, a little bit north of a market multiple, but not ridiculous in this environment. So I, I, my inclination is to stay with this on the long side. All right, so one dog goes one way, one goes the other. What do you want from me, guy? Look at this Estee Lauder. You just mentioned this, making new 52-week uh, lows today. I mean, this thing is disgusting. This stock was already trading horribly, okay, over the last year or so. And look at this gap lower. And you know what's interesting to me about this? This is a $38 billion market cap company. They have $10 billion in debt. But coming into 2020, guy, they had about $3.5 billion in debt, okay? So they ramped it up in 2020. They took on about $5 billion in debt. Do you remember where yields were back then? guy you know what yeah, i mean like zero yeah so like at some point you know what i mean like this debt is gonna have to be repaid right or it's gonna be you know like like refinance i, I mean i think some of that stuff is probably weighing on some of these companies and mm -hmm. if you think about this okay um obviously this is a, a consumer uh discretionary company um you know earnings you know are are, are you know declining um if you look at the revenue number here um they're expected to be up single digits it trades at about you know 20 times next year 30 times this year the, the existing year it's just an expensive stock that that for some reason i, I haven't taken that close a look at it doesn't seem to be executing particularly well and this is one of those earnings reports that it might make sense for you if you're focused on the consumer if you're focused on international if you're focused on inflationary pressures and supply chains let's go see what they have to say i'm gonna this is on my list to look at uh later on this week this so, this encapsulates everything that's going on the health of the consumer right valuations that you just mentioned um international exposure without question but most importantly the difference between this company when rates were zero and what it's trading like now and that's what you find yourself in and it's not just going to be estee lauder that finds itself under this type of microscope there are other companies out there and this is a company that's making a seven-year low as we talk so i think we bring it up not necessarily tell you to go out there and trade estee lauder but listen to what they have to say and then try to connect the dots to some other companies Correct. that might find themselves under similar circumstances all right, let's do the, the same thing in chips before we get out of here. This is, I promise you, the last thing here, people. Okay, let's look at AMD. You and I previewed it yesterday. You actually thought in and around, I don't know, 90 bucks or so, it was maybe 93 bucks or something like that. You thought the setup looked pretty good. You thought expectations were not particularly high. You were thinking a little bit about the investor reaction to Intel, right? Mm -hmm. After their report um, on Thursday, we knew, we talked about it yesterday. They're going to be talking about their higher end graphic chips that are going to be going in to trade. Generative AI models competing with um, NVIDIA and the like. 
you actually said on CNBC's Fast Money as the as the earnings and the guidance came out, you didn't know why it was down three or four percent. I didn't think the guidance that they gave for the December quarter it was plus or minus three hundred on a six point one billion dollar number when expectations were six point four. Um, you know, again, I, I thought. Okay, but then they made a couple like it seemed like anecdotal comments, guy, about this this graphics chip and and, mm-hmm. and what it's going to be in the December quarter and what it's going to be in 2024. But that sparked a really big rally. Think about it; it's it's up, I think, 11 percent off those uh, aftermarket lows last night here. But you see the lines that we've drawn here in this downtrend. Um, this is probably not one you're chasing. You give me give me your two not cents. now. I don't think you chase it now, but to your point, we started the show last fast money last night talking about AMD. Christina Parts and Evelis broke it down. Tim asked a question. Mel came to me. I think the stock was trading 94 ish ish. And, you know, I, I'm paraphrasing, but I said, you know, it's interesting. The setup here is actually we've round turned that move since May when the stock closed around 90 bucks. I said, you know, the problem with the AMD is. People zig when they should zag. And now's not the time to sell this stock. Now's the time to buy this stock. And that just was blind luck. But, you know, went from 94 or so to see where it's trading now. If you're chasing it here, I think you're making a mistake. You know, you're probably going to get a bit of a back and fill here. And we're going to sort of sort things out. But, you know, that's why you have to interpret some of these earnings releases. You have to understand where the stock is, where it's been, what the expectations were look at past levels and then try to make a thesis or an investment decision or trading decision based on that. Yeah. So last thing though, let's look at microchip because they report, um, this is MCHP. Um, they report, uh, tomorrow, uh, this is Thursday after the close. This is a $38 billion market cap company. Um, you know, some of their biggest end markets are, are contract manufacturers. Um, and just look at how the stock has traded. That was an all time high people mm-hmm. that was making earlier this year. We kind of highlight the, what looks to us like a head and shoulders top. Look at how the stock is trading right here and guy i'll just mention this man you know like you know some of the end markets that they sell into um you know we've heard there's trying to be some stabilization in the like here but this stock <laughs> acts like you know death trades yeah. at about 11 times earnings growth both earnings and sales expected to be like low single digits or something like that so you know when i look at a stock like this look at that and that's a, a multi-year surveys looks like the risk and 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 again this is why you know oftentimes we cite valuation but sometimes you want to be buying expensive stocks you know what i mean not buying cheap stocks because this is a cheap stock that trades like something something bad's about to happen this has been this is one of those ai proxies nvidia proxies that you know when nvidia it's not coincidental by the way that you know this price action has sort of mirrored what we've seen in nvidia over the last few months and to your point, I mean, I'm, you know, I don't think you have to trade this thing, but you should absolutely watch this thing because, you know, if you see a significant breakdown from seventy dollars down to, you know, the mid fifties or so and trade the levels we saw the summer of last year, that's problematic. Um, that is going to, it's going to be interesting to see how that weighs on Nvidia and some of those other AI plays. Yeah, and just lastly, okay, I promise. Lastly, you know, Nvidia, you highlighted it earlier in the week that four hundred dollar level guy. I think we are doing. Uh, market call uh, on Tuesday, and it just broken below 400. Um, to me, there's a little battle going on at that kind of 400 level mm-hmm. because below that, you just have that gap fill that down to 300. And you know, from 500 to 300, you can do that 
path, you know, that's a 30% retracement. And I, I listen, people, I, I could see that happening in the not so distant future. This company is going to report in three weeks. And then the other one that's got a nice round number that's contending that I think is also a big, you know, name from a sentiment standpoint is Tesla. And, and listen, you know what? Pull up the Tesla chart really quickly. You know, you could say it came back to that $200 level here and maybe it looked like it's trying to put in a little bottom and maybe you get a move back towards that kind of 237 or, you know, 235 or something that that's the gap level guy after earnings from a couple of weeks ago. But man, I, I feel like a lot of these stocks are in patterns where if they rally, I want to sell them, guy. I think that's right. And I think NVIDIA is going to be one of those stuff. Well, you said it at the beginning of the show that, you know, it used to be Apple that, if you said something even remotely negative, the vitriol that you get back vis-a-vis -vis social media would be remarkable. It's moved that that sort of, you know, that flag, I guess, has been moved to both NVIDIA and Tesla. <laughs> but doesn't mean that those stocks don't set up similarly in terms of what we're seeing. So I think you're sort of in a sell rally mode for both NVIDIA, Tesla, and quite frankly, Apple as well, if you get a bounce. Fair enough. Yeah. Hey, we're going to do something. Maybe tomorrow we'll do Amazon because Amazon's bounced 15% in a straight line. And that's when I actually want to look to fade. So maybe we'll use some options to do that. So tune in tomorrow on Market Call. We have what? EY from SoFi. That would be Liz Young. Mm -hmm. And of course, we are going to have the data from the Senior Earnings Insight Analyst over there at FactSet on tomorrow's show. What do you call him, guy? Butters. It ain't margarine. It's Butters. Yeah, it's just Bitch. Butters. Uh, <laughs> You just couldn't help yourself. Well, you know, I see a lot of Britney Spears um, photographs around Halloween. A lot of people went as Britney. So we should get her on market call. No, it, it wasn't Britney. It was, it was Tay-Tay. It was T-Swizzle. That's what they were going as, guy. You're literally like 20 years, you know, like have just gone by. That's from, not oops, Britney Spears. Oops, I did it again. That was the last time you had a pop star on your kind of playlist. You probably had like a a, a, a tape. You, you you would have a mixtape yeah. back then. No. Yeah. I, I, I will tell you, it should come as no surprise. I'm sure Taylor Swift is lovely. There's a funny video of the guy from uh, Married with Children. I, Ed, what's his name? Yeah. I can't think of his name. But he was on some one of these talk shows, and he was explaining how somebody came up to him, and he, he knew he was supposed to know who she was, but he couldn't place the face. And they asked to take a selfie together, and they had a very cordial conversation. He sends a picture to his daughter and says, you have to help me out with the name here. And the daughter texts him back, I'm going to have you committed because it was Taylor Swift. It's fantastic. Anyway, Ed O'Neill. Thank you, Amanda. Al, we'll put, Al Bundy. We'll put Al, that in the show notes. Yeah, but he, he had a great turn on the on the Modern Family. Do you remember that show, The Modern yeah, Family? Yeah, I never saw it. No, never saw it. All right, that's it. We, we went overtime here. This was a lot we of did. fun. We covered a lot of ground. Hopefully it was useful to you people. I don't know. I enjoyed it. I hope so. Listen, we'll be back tomorrow. There's a lot's going to happen over the next hour or so, so buckle in, folks. We'll see you tomorrow. I want to thank Backset. I want to thank Carter Worth. Thank the audience. We will see you tomorrow. Butters and EY from SoFi.